Good morning. Great to see all of you here again today. And I just want to, as we get started, just express gratitude and thanks for all the close to 70 volunteers we had here this last week um, for Kids Sports Camp. You saw a quick highlight this morning as you were coming in to the start of service. It was great to see so many kids here and being able to faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. So thank you if you volunteered this last week. We're grateful for your time and your energy you poured into that. And another quick update, it's been great. The few things I've heard from the Guatemala Mission Team has been really, really great what they've been able to do and how they've been able to serve down there. So thank you for everybody that's been praying for them as we prayed for them just a couple weeks ago before they uh, launched out. So they'll be back with us hopefully next week. You'll be able to talk to them and just hear some encouraging stories about what God is doing and has done down there. All right, so we're going through the series Praying the Bible. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, this is a series we've been in here the last couple of weeks, and if you are a guest here, one, we're glad that you're here, grateful that you're here with us, or if you're tuning in online, a special welcome to you. This series, we're hoping to cultivate as a church uh, a heart of prayer from the Word of God, allowing God's Word to kind of orchestrate the things that we pray for and how we pray. Last Sunday, we looked at Psalms 3 and 4, and honestly, the entire uh, book of Psalms is a great book of, of prayers for us to kind of model our lives after. And uh, last week we looked at three and four, which is a kind of prayer for the morning, opening your day, and then four, which is a prayer for the evening, uh, to kind of close out your day. So Psalms are some of the greatest uh, treasure troves of prayers in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, as well as the rest of the Pauline epistles, which are those kind of smaller books in the back of the Bible. Most of them um, uh, were written by Paul, and so those ones that were by him are called the Pauline epistles, and they have a lot of prayers in them, and we're going to look at one specifically today, chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 14. Paul's been kind of laying out a lot of big theological truths uh, over the first couple chapters, and so now we're getting here to chapter 3, and this prayer is the kind of hinge for the book. Uh, He's going to make this big prayer, and then he's going to transition to a lot of very practical things on how we live out this faith before the Lord. But before he talks about all the practicality side of things, he's going to pray for the people And this is what he prays, starting in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Now listen to what he prays and asks God to strengthen us to do, because this is what we're going to spend our time unpacking today. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, and may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask Or think according to the will at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord, as we look at this prayer of the Apostle Paul, we want to echo it this morning in our hearts and lives. Lord, we confess that we need your spirit to give us wisdom And to give us strength to understand your great love for us. Lord, we confess that there is so much about you, the eternal God, that we don't understand. 
But we desperately want to move to loving you more because you have first loved us. So, Lord, would you help us this morning to comprehend the love that surpasses knowledge? Would you help us to be bold in the types of prayers that we pray because they're founded in your great love for us? So, Lord, expand our our hearts and our minds to understand and to believe your truth today. And let me invite you from the silence of your heart now to pray that God would speak to you through this passage to the glory of his name today. Would you ask him to do that? Pray right now. Would you also pray for me as uh, I open up God's word and and work through it this morning, that God would be able to communicate his truth clearly uh, through me. Would you pray for me now? Lord Jesus, I know that I can't uh, communicate clearly enough for us to to actually live out the love that you've made available to us. And so I'm asking, I'm pleading with you that you, through your power and your strength and your ability, that you would help us to see and to believe today. And it's in your name we ask. Amen. All right, well, when I was 16 years old, I was excited because I'm about to get my driver's license and I'm about to get ready to drive and have that kind of freedom and fun that, you know, I've always dreamed of and always wanted. And so I am there at my house, and thankfully, um, by God's blessing, my parents were able to provide a car for me, and I kind of see it pulling in the driveway, and I'm excited, and I run out to look at this car, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is where I'm going to be able to do all these different things and have this freedom that I've longed for. And as I come to the driver's side door, I look inside, and I see that it's a manual. <laughs> and at that time, I had never driven a manual. I didn't even have a concept of how a manual works. I, I had no idea. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, this freedom, it's right there in front of me, and I, I have no idea how to use it. So I've got to learn, right? Like, I've got to learn how this works. And so I'm like, let's start right now. No better time than now. So I get into the car, and I'm driving with my sister, and she's trying to teach me how to drive a stick. And as I stall out again and again and again, I get a small glimmer of hope as I get it into first gear, and we're bucking down the road, right, uh, trying to, to get going. And we're doing this for, for probably two hours. I'm stalling it out and bucking it down the road and, and you know, getting it into first gear, maybe getting it into second gear, but like, it just, this is where we are. But I'm like, I've got to continue to press forward. I've got to get out of first gear because I know in order for me to enjoy the depths of what this car can bring, I've got to get out of first gear because I know that first gear is not going to go well on the interstate, right? <laughs> Try to stay in first gear. You're going to overheat. The car's going to blow up, Right? And so I've got to learn how to change gears and push the clutch and all these things to go from first gear to second to third, because there were six gears, and I need to be able to get to every single one of them. Now, the reason why I tell you that kind of humorous story this morning is because this is a glimpse of what Paul is doing in this prayer. He's been laying out all this amazing theology of who God is and what God has done for them and the salvation that he brings to them, all of these different things. But the people are still stuck in first gear. They don't have the strength or the ability to move to second gear and to understand the depths of God's love. Because everything he said in the first few chapters has all been revolving and founded and centered on the great love of God. 
And so Paul, before he ever moves to the very practical side of things, to go to second gear, to third gear, and how this is lived out in your life, he just pauses and he prays, God, in your great strength, would you help the people within this church understand your love in deeper ways, in wider ways, in higher ways? And they don't have the strength and the power within themselves. And so, God, I'm praying and I'm asking you, would you give them the strength and the ability to understand your great love? So that's what this whole section is centered on. God's ability to give us strength so that we could understand the depths and the height of his great love. And so first point is this. Let's be strengthened to plumb the depths of God's love. This is where Paul starts. This is where he starts to pray. That, we, that the people of the church at Ephesus, the modern day Turkey, that they would be strengthened to plumb the depths of God's love. You see, Paul knows that we will only, at best, skim the surface of God's great love unless he gives us the strength and the ability to be rooted and grounded in his love. And because Paul knows that, what he does is he prays that they would have the strength and the ability to be able to understand that. And where does that strength and the ability come from? Verse 16 tells us, according to the riches of his glory, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. With strength is going to come, and it's going to come through his spirit. But I love where it starts in verse 16, where all of that is wrapped up. His strength, his power, his spirit within us, all of that is given to us according to the riches of his glory. According to it. It doesn't say out of, out of his riches and his glory, but according to it. And there's a vast difference between the two of those things. Think about this. If you met a millionaire that was very kind and he gave you out of his riches, then he technically could give you a dollar. Like one dollar, here it is. And would it be true to say that that millionaire, multimillionaire, gave you out of his riches? Yes, <laughs> right? Because that was his rent money, his riches, and he gave you out of it, a dollar. But it's something totally different if you say, I met a multimillionaire and he gave me according to his riches. See, according to your riches means he's given you probably a million dollars, if not more. Because he's a multimillionaire, right? He's given you according to what he has. That's what Paul is praying right here for us. God in his spiritual wealth of might and power that he would give us according to his riches. Not out of it, but according to his riches of glory. That we would be able to understand the love of God. And this is where the depths come in. As God, by his grace, allows us to be strengthened to understand his love, it's a deep love. It's a deep love. And so Paul uses two words in verse 17 that are important to show the depths of God's love. He says that he wants our hearts in faith to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, rooted and grounded, these are two different words. He could have chose one, but he chose two to show the depths of God's love. This first word rooted here, this is an agricultural term where you would talk about, you know, planting a tree deep and allowing those roots to go into the ground. 
And Paul is saying in his prayer to the Lord, oh, that this church will be full of people whose roots are so deep into the soil of God's love that they're not shaken by the world. He's praying and he's asking that our roots of faith would grow so deep that the storms of this world, the the winds of this world, the craziness that is and chaos time and time again, we would stand firm in our faith. He's praying that our, that our roots would grow deep into the soil of God's love so that the, the frost of this broken world do not impact us the same way it does others. That the sins of this world do not impact our deep roots of faith like others. Paul's praying and asking that we would have deep roots of faith that are old and strong. That would help it to flourish even in dry seasons. It could be evergreen with its leaves and they would never wither. Why? Because of their strength and their ability? No. Because they look and they grasp the deep love of God. And the second word he uses there for grounded, this is a, a different word. This is an architectural term. This is a word you would use to talk about you know, excavating a place and digging down towards hard soil where you put it the foundation of the house where it won't be moved. I mean, who knows what Paul was thinking about when he wrote this. I mean, what the, the Roman Colosseum, where you, you would look and you would see this amazing building with deep foundations that it's not moved or shaken by time or tragedy. No, it's, it's there. It's grounded. It's rooted deep. And Paul is saying in the same way that we as believers would dig deep, deep excavation areas in our hearts and in our minds where we think on the love of God. The love of God would be that foundation that stabilizes our house, both maybe uh, family, right? But also our hearts, both are founded deep. I mean, to kind of take it to modern times, it'd be like us thinking about the foundation of a skyscraper. I mean, you see as they work and they bring these, these different tools and, and different uh, excavators, and they're digging out, and they're moving all this dirt, and they're working endless hours, and they're building a strong foundation. I was reading over uh, this picture, this foundation that w- this was built. It was, I think it was 18 hours of putting the cement down after they had already pulled everything up. I mean, this took hours and time and intentionality in order for this to be able to hold a skyscraper. What Paul is saying, if you want to understand the, the heights of God's love, then you first have to dig deep, deep roots of faith into the love of Christ. That we would pause and think deeply about his love. You see, the gospel should never grow old to us. Never grow old to us. We might have heard John 3.16 a hundred times or a thousand times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is a beautiful verse and a very common verse. It should never become old to us. We should never become numb to that or callous to that. No, we go to verses like that and we put deep roots of faith there. We make sure we're grounded in these truths because when we become grounded in these truths, then it impacts our everyday life. You see, if we're grounded in this truth that God's love is deep and it's for us, it's towards us, then when we have the sense of feeling unloved, that doubt comes up in our mind. Am I loved? Does anybody care? 
we're rooted and we're grounded in this truth that the greatest love that the world has ever seen has been extended to us, right? Through Christ. When we're grounded so deep in the love of God, we don't have to spend our lives pursuing acceptance from maybe romantic relationships or from a boss or trying to receive friends. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, but when we spend our lives pursuing love in these different areas and acceptance of these areas, it's because maybe our foundation and our roots aren't grounded deeply in the greatest love that we could ever experience. You see, when we are rooted and grounded in the love of God, it helps us to stand firm. When a world would try to redefine love as tolerance instead of humble sacrifice. You see, we pause and we think deeply on the love of God because this is what true love looks like. And we look at his love and this is how we define love, by his love. See, the whole reason we love is because he first loved us, right? He is our model. He's our example. He's the definition of what love is. So we look and we plumb the depths of his love so we would understand so that we are not moved when a world would try to redefine a word that God himself has defined. You see, we'll have the temptation to love ourselves, and our culture will tell us to love ourselves. But when we're rooted and we're grounded in God's love, and we'll realize that what love really is is pouring yourself out for others, considering others as more important than yourself. This is what love looks like. And the only way we understand this is if we are rooted and grounded in God's love. We love because he first loved us. All of this rests on the depths of God's love. But Paul doesn't stop by praying just for us to understand the depths of God's love. But he also prays that we be strengthened to scale the heights of God's love. Find that in verses 18 and 19. Now in verse 18, he, he repeats it again. He's praying that we would have strength. And we'd be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints God's love. That's what he's asking for. That's what he's praying for. That we would be able to comprehend this. This word literally means to grasp it. Paul's wanting us not just to say, well, I heard a sermon about love. Or I've heard like other people talk about love. But no, we would reach to the heights and grasp the love of God. That we would see it, that we would grasp it in such a way that it's personal. Not just to hear it, not just to see others experience it, but that we would own it in our own hearts and lives. But it's not just for us. It's for all the saints, verse 18 says. He wants us to have strength to grasp it just for ourselves? No. With all the saints. This is a, yes, this is a personal relationship we have with God, but it is not private. It is meant for us to be uh, celebrated with the saints, to be enjoyed, to, to worship and praise Him. All of these things with all the saints. And the reality is, we need one another. We need a church in order to know the depths and the heights of God's love. We cannot do this in isolation. We will never, ever be able to fully understand the heights and the depths of God's love, ever. But we do see a little bit more of God's love when we do it in community. When we comprehend and grasp with all the saints, all the saints. 
So what we do in here when we sing and we praise God for his great love for us, we're, we're looking around and we're like, man, I know that that person's gone through a hard week and they're still seeing the love of God and trusting the love of God. We get together as a small group and we open up God's word and we talk about how it's stirred our hearts and our minds and how we're looking more like him because of what Christ has done for us and in us and how he's strengthening us. And this allows us to see glimpses of the great love of God that goes far beyond the borders of our lives to others. We experience it with all the saints. And and I can't say it clear enough, we will not understand God's four-dimensional love without all the saints. And God's love is four-dimensional. Did you notice that in verse 18? What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love? This is a four-dimensional kind of love that he's inviting us to come into, right? This is why we need the strength to be able to understand it, to comprehend it with each other. And each one of those is so important. See, God's love is a wide love because it welcomes any who would believe in Jesus and confess their sins. It's open for, for all. The book of Revelation, we looked at it several weeks ago. But the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, talks about as all time wraps up that there at the throne, there will be someone from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping and glorifying God. Why? Because his love is wide. That it welcomes not just one demographic of people, not just one region of the earth, but any who would believe. This is the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the love of God. This is the height of God's love. God's love also has great length. Length. The book of Revelation also tells us that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. What in the world does that mean? What it means is that God's love was before time. That God knew when he created everything that what he was going to do was ultimately one day have to give his life in order to, to forgive us of our sins, in order to have a relationship to, with us. See, his love was already in mo motion in the past before we were ever created. He knew he was going to give his life for us. For there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. God knew he was going to put his love on display. That length of love goes back into eternity past. And it goes into eternity forever. This is the kind of love, a love that expands through time and eternity and never ends. This is the length of God's love, the height and the depth of God's love, the height of God's love. It's a, it's a love that is in the heavens, absolutely, but it stoops low to earth to save us. It's a, it's a high love because he is holy and, and far set apart from us, and yet it's a lowly, deep love that goes to the greatest of sinners and to the darkest of places. And we can read time and time again the, of, of God's love for us, but when we slow down and we read passages like Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about God's great love emptied himself, took the form of man, and came to earth to serve, not to be served. This is a picture of God's deep and high love. It's a beautiful love. The love of Christ is matchless. It's a wide love that welcomes any sinner to salvation. 
It's a long love that goes into eternity. It's a deep love that reaches down to us, and it's a high love that reaches to heavens itself. It's a four-dimensional type of love. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, Ryan, like, I have, I've heard about God's love for, like, years. Like, we need, we need a different gear for God's love, right? Second or third gear. Like, I, can we talk about maybe some of these big theological topics instead? Like, what I really need to grow in my relationship with God is I need to understand the hypostatic union and, and, and transubstantiation. Like, if I could understand what all of those things are in theology, then I, would, then I would truly love God deeper. And Paul doesn't pray for us to understand any of those things. Now, did he explain those things through his, his different letters? Absolutely. Is it important to think on those things? Yes. But as Paul has just given a few chapters talking about different deep theological topics, he pauses here at the end and he's like, guys, but the foundation of all of this is love. It's love. And we are fools if we ever think that we're going to be able to to get to the end of understanding God's love. Like where we get to the point where we're like, well, I've checked that box off. What other theology can I understand? Because I've checked off the box of understanding God's love. That's not what Paul says. Look at verse 19 again. And that you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of God is so deep and so high and so wide and so broad, you will never understand it in all of eternity. Your mind, if you say, I I grasp and understand all the depths of, of God's love, then you don't understand what the Bible says. Because the Bible says right here that it surpasses our knowledge. Our eight-ounce brain, which is what the average human brain weighs, is not going to understand an infinite love, a four-dimensional love in its fullness. We will never grasp the ends of God's love. It surpasses knowledge. I love how 1 Peter talks about it in chapter 1, verse 12. He's talking about God's love that extends to a salvation. And then he says that angels long to look into these things. And we're going to unpack 1 Peter here in the fall, but just for a second today, I want you to think about that. What Paul is saying, or what Peter is saying as he writes that book, is that there are angels in heaven. These are created beings, yes, but they've been around thousands and thousands of years, and they've still been looking and gazing into the love of God, and they're still scratching their heads trying to figure out God's love. How could God be so infinite and almighty and holy and come and love these rebel rebel sinners? Why would he do that? They're still scratching their heads in confusion over that. It's because God's love is inexhaustible. Our minds are not going to fully understand this type of love. And so we treasure it and we love it and we allow it to shape our lives. It's the beauty of it. We will never wear out the expanse of God's love. It is a high love. In the seventh book of the Chronicles of Narnia, it's called Prince Caspian. There's this scene that depicts Lucy, one of the characters in the story, with Aslan, the lion, who is the Christ figure of the story. And Lucy has been to this magical land of Narnia several times and has interacted with with Aslan. But as she sees him again, it's interesting, this interaction they have with one another. She runs up and she hugs him like you see this picture. And, and she says, Aslan, dear Aslan, at last I see you again. And she gazed upon his large, wise face. And Aslan said, 
Welcome, my child. And Lucy said, Aslan, you're bigger than the last time I saw you. He responds and he says, that's because you're older, little one. And she said, wait, not because you are bigger? And he said, I'm not. But every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. Now, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure, intended great theological truths for many of the things that he wrote in this letter. But what he's trying to highlight here is that Aslan hasn't grown. She's grown, and she's seen different aspects of him that she's never seen before. And so when she sees him and she hugs him, you look bigger, and he's like, I haven't changed. And so it is with us. As we continue to look at the love of God, we're going to be like, oh my goodness, I never saw this aspect of God's love, how you loved me in this way in the darkest of times. God, you've gotten bigger. And he's like, no, I've not gotten bigger. It's my love is inexhaustible. My love is so high, it's so deep, it's four-dimensional. You'll never fully understand it. All we do is we pour out our lives looking at that love, seeing how great that love is for us. And we'll spend eternity looking at how great this love is for us. This is the, the beauty of God's love that we would cling to it and love it. And as we love this great love that he has given us, it does change our lives. And it does shape our lives. But it starts with us having the strength and the ability to comprehend, to grasp that high and deep love. Now, Paul prays one more thing for us in this passage, that we be strengthened to pray according to God's love. That we be strengthened to pray according to God's love. Verses 20 and 21 is called the doxology. It's an end of a section like a song or end of a a prayer that kind of goes into this big miraculous praise and lifting up God's name and talking about how amazing he is. And there's multiple that we find throughout Scripture. In the book of Jude, you see this doxology as he closes out this one-chapter book, and he, he says to him now who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to him be all glory. You see, what stirs up Jude's heart to sing this doxology and to praise God is that God is a keeping God. That God is a preserving God. Jude looks around, he's like, I know I falter and I know I fail, but God's love will keep me. And so I'm going to sing this doxology of praise to him because he's the one that preserves and has saved me. All glory be to God. Paul, in another one of his letters, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he gives another doxology And he says to the king of ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What sends Paul's mind and heart into orbit of praise of God in 1 Timothy is that he's a king that reigns through every age of time and over every ruler of this world. And it causes him to praise him. Now, what about here in Ephesians chapter 3? What is it that leads Paul to end his prayer with this miraculous praise, right? What we've been talking about the whole time. The great love of God. This is what sends him into this orbit of praise of God. He looks at his love. He's like, that love is what drives me to praise him. This love is so wide. It's so deep. It's so high. You are great and greatly to be praised, and so I will praise you. To what end? Verse 21, to him be the glory. 
It all comes back to his glory. It's all about his glory. But what I love is he says it's all about his glory. His love is pointing to his glory, but this love allows us to come to him and to pray to him. Verse 20 is this call to prayer because we know this love. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than ever we think or ask. This is an invitation. This is a green light for any Christian to come before God and to pray boldly. Why? Because of his love. His love is the invitation for us to pray. Pray for things that we wouldn't even imagine. You see, think about Paul. Paul was a man who had run from God and had murdered Christians. And the the, the believers at this time, if you said to them, hey, pray that this guy who's martyring Christians would come to faith, people would be like, no way. There's no way possible that's going to happen. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my breath. I'm not going to waste my thoughts. And I wonder if Paul, as he writes this, is saying, you know what? God can do more than we ask or even think. That person that we think would never come to Christ, one whose heart is hard or very far from the Lord, God's like, I can save that person. My love is deep enough and it's wide enough. I can do that. Things that we don't even think about, God's like, I can do that. This is why we pray for big things. This is why we have bold prayers. This is why we pray for people that we don't normally interact with, people that are missionaries around the world. We've got a whole missions-focused wall of missionaries that we challenge us as a church to pray for because we know that God can do more than we can even think about as we pray to him. Now, this prayer doesn't divorce us from, from doing anything. Praying and knowing that he can do more than we ask or we think doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. Look at the end of verse 20. It says, according to the power at work within us. Within us. More than we ask or we think, we pray. And then God uses us to be answers to those prayers. This is what he does. Because yes, he loves others, but he loves us. And so he doesn't want to divorce the two. He's using one to impact the other in greater ways than we ever thought that God would do. And this is how we pray according to the love of God, in bold ways. Not to our ends, but to his glory and his end. For how long? Verse 21 says, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Right? So two points of application as we close this morning. One for a non-believer who's never trusted in Christ and one for the believer. For the one who's never trusted in Christ. This morning, would you hear the love of God for you? You might be thinking in your heart, man, the depths of my sin, the depths of my addiction, the wrongs that I've done, I don't know if God could love me. Then come back to this passage, be rooted and grounded in the truth that God's love is deep and it is high and it is long and it is wide you come to that truth, and as you rest your mind on that truth that God loved you so much that he came to die on the cross for you, and let this settle in. God died for you just as you are right now, not some future version of you. He knew your sins and your struggle, which is what led him to the cross. And he who begins a good work will complete that good work. So come to him as you are, trusting in his great love for you. It's a love that's not going to turn you away, but it's a love that will welcome you in. And the way that you accept that love is you just pray. 
you pray. There's no fancy magical words that you pray. It's simple. And it's a prayer that you would pray confessing that you know him as Lord, a God who loved you so much that he came and he died on the cross for you, for your sins, your wrongs, in your place. And that he didn't just die, but he also rose from the grave knowing that your sins will be separated from you now as far as east is from the west. You just pray confessing the little that you know. You don't have to fully understand in order to fully believe. So would you pray and fully believe in the love of Christ today? And for us as believers, I would challenge you to pray for your church. A couple weeks ago, we gave out those books, Five Ways to Pray for Your Church. We've been encouraging you and inviting you to to pray these things weekly for, for your church. And the reason why I say that is because, don't forget, this prayer in Ephesians is a prayer for the church. Paul is praying this prayer specifically for the church there in Ephesus. He's praying that they would understand these things. And that's what he talks about in verse 14. I bow my knees and I pray for every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul's already talked about in Ephesians that the church is a picture of a family. It's like a family. It's like the body of Christ. And so we pray for one another. And that's what I want to challenge you to do, to be faithful to pray. Pray that people within this church would be encouraged by God's love. I pray, and I would encourage you to pray also for people who are hurting among us. Would you pray for the missionaries that we support around the world and some that you might know also? I encourage you to pray for us as pastors, that we would be faithful to to follow God and to preach his word and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I would encourage you to pray for the vision that is set before us, that we as a church would help to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We do that. You see, in order to do that, you have to see the church as a family. If you look at the church as a, as a business, then you look at it and you see budgets and expenses and revenue. You're like, I don't need to pray for all that stuff. But God's word talks about it as a family. And yes, families have budgets and expenses and revenues. But how you pray for a family is vastly different than a business. I doubt many of us go into a grocery store and we pray, God, would you just help the staff at the grocery store be able to, like, keep the vision of Publix going, right? (laughs) When they supply tasty foods, may these vegetables last longer. Like, we're not necessarily praying for those things. Why? Because that's a business that we frequently visit. But Paul, as he starts, is saying, I'm praying for the family. And we are a family. And so church, that's why we pray for the vision. That's why we pray for our pastors. That's why we pray for one another, because we are a family connected together. And we pray to this end that we will be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's great love for us. Pray with me now. Lord, we thank you for your love. Without your love, we would never know what real love is. Lord, we can love because you first loved us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the example that you gave as you came from the heights of heaven to the depths of this earth to give your life a ransom for many. Lord, this is a great love, a one that will never exhaust through all of time or eternity. But, Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand it in a new and a fresh way today. God, give us creativity, give us strength of mind and heart that we would continue to study your love. 
to see how it applies to our lives, how it gives us stability when we're rooted and grounded in it, no matter what happens in our culture or in our lives, no matter what tragedy may come or whatever triumph may come. God, we can rest firmly rooted and secure in your great love for us. So Lord, in new and fresh ways, may we understand your love. And this week, I ask that you would open up doors for us to share this great love. For those who are shaken, those who are fearful, those who are doubting that they are loved at all, God, to those that are at the end of the rope, God, would you open a door for us to share this great love that you have for them, a love that is so wide that would welcome in anyone who would confess and believe. So, Lord, give us opportunities and give us boldness to live that love out this week to the glory of your great name forever and ever. Amen. Church, let's stand now. Let's sing to the God who loves us.